You are listening to Chthonia, the podcast of the Dark Feminine. Chthonia's logo was designed by J.R. Malpair. Background music is Phantasm by Kevin McLeod. Hello, and welcome to Chthonia. Uh, the podcast dealing with the dark feminine. Uh, my name is Breach Burke. I'm your host. And this week is going to be a continuation of the series that we began last week, um, talking where we're going to have sort of a six or seven month series where we talk about the tantric goddesses. Um, excuse me a moment. My microphone's a little screwed up here. Um, and also just to let everybody know, if you hear some Strange um, poundings or waterfalls in the background. Um, it's actually pouring rain out today. Um, it's my own fault. I'm, you know, and occasionally I hear the the sump pump go off uh, downstairs. But it's, uh, yeah, it's it's so it's kind of it's my own fault because I should have recorded this yesterday or the day before. But um, it was a uh, few unexpected hurdles. So um, so anyway, I apologize if there's any background noise in this. I'm hoping that there there won't be, or that it won't be too um, too distracting. Um, today what we want to talk about, we're talking about the tantric goddesses, and I want to look at some of the main, um, scriptures of Shaktism, which is the, uh, sort of, um, Hindu current, if you will, that deals with, um, the divine feminine as the ultimate reality and creator behind everything. Okay. Which is, uh, where this, where our traditions of the, um, these particular tantric goddesses come from. Um, so there's, there's, there's a few different texts. The one that I'm going to end up focusing on the most in this particular session is known as the Devi Mahatmayam, which is also called the Durga Saptashadi, uh, which, which basically translates to 700 verses in praise of Durga, um, or the Sri Chandipat. Okay. And, uh, which of course, Chandi being a name that, um, has come out for the goddess, um, a goddess who's very much like Kali or Durga, who is, you know, and Chandi basically translates to ferocious or angry, okay? So this is this is the rage of the goddess. And it is, um, this is a work that was composed between roughly 400 and 600 CE, okay? So meaning we're not, we're talking about ancient Greek stuff, we're talking about the BCE, you know, before, you know, before the common era, this is all after, well, I mean, most of our calendar system is based on the birth of uh, Jesus anyway. So, you know, we're talking 400 and 600, you know, in, in the current era that we're in now. We're currently in, you know, 2020 um, CE. So this was between 400 and 600 CE that this uh, was produced. So it's a little bit earlier than some of the other texts we're going to briefly touch on. Um, and the Devi Mahatmayam uh, represents chapters 81 to, through 93 of uh, the Markandeya Purana. Uh, the Puranas are a group of texts that are, uh, they're sort of the um, official um, congregations of Hindu sort of folklore and mythology. Okay, and there's, um, uh, I forget what the exact number it is of Puranas. Uh, there's the Maha Puranas, and, and then there's the, um, you know, probably some, I don't want to say lesser, but they're they're not part of the the main body of works. But there's but there's a whole whole collection of Puranas, and Purana is a word that just means old. Okay, so these are these are old stories, if you will, um, from, about about the gods, and it's called the Markandeya because uh, Markandeya is the name of the sage who appears in these stories, uh, and who you know who's the who's the sage, or Rishi who um, 
to you know the who ends up telling the stories of these different deities and their exploits. Um, now the Devi Mahatmayam was probably um, I'm not sure. Um, a lot of these are attributed to the sage Veda Vyasa. Um, there's there's some other texts uh, as well. Um, although these are a bit later. Like I said, this is 400 to 600 CE. We're looking at something from between the 9th and 14th centuries CE, so that's approximately between the years 1000 and 1500. Uh, there's some other texts. Uh, one is the Devi Bhagavata uh, Purana, which is also known as the Srimad Devi Bhagavatam, um, and also the Devi Upanishad. And those are kind of the main texts of Shaktism. Uh, they're not the only ones. There's, there's other um, Puranas, there's other Upanishads, there's other... Um, sort of uh, hymns that, you know, Upanishads, you know, they're kind of like, um, they're, they're, they're sort of in the classification of, um, of hymns, Vedic hymns in particular. Um, so, uh, and, and the Puranas were written probably somewhere from the 4th century um, CE onwards, okay? Um, now let me just talk about those other two first, just briefly. Uh, the Devi Bhagavata um, Purana is um, 318 chapters long, and it deals with, um, there's got, you know, uh, let me find the, my, my thing here, because I, I don't have the actual work in front of me, but I do have kind of a, kind of a summary, um, and it talks about, uh, you know, the, the first six books talk about, um, you know, they, they kind of present, you know, uh, the outline, the contents. They talk about how uh, Namisha, the Numisha forest, um, and how it was first recited among the sages. Okay, and again, prob you know, it's, um, uh, all, it says all reality is ni initially nirguna, meaning without form. Um, so there's nothing except truth. Um, but the text asserts that nirguna was actually Bhagavati, which is uh, female. Um, and she manifests herself as Trishakti. Um, <clears throat> Satviki, which is truth and creative action, uh, Rajasi, which is passion and aimless action, and Tamasi, which is delusion or destructive action. Now, this is kind of an important theme to remember. Uh, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute with um, another stotra or another text that uh, I'm just going to bring up that, that, that is related to the Devi Mahatmayam, that, that ties into it. Is that the goddess is, um, she's both creative and destruction. And she has to do with passion, and of course, you know, so these are the three, um, these three shaktis, okay? So, uh, so she's, so it's interesting, because we think about, uh, for instance, the yin and yang principle, where the yang principle is the active one, and the feminine yin is the passive one. Um, this, this particular shakti is all about action, okay? We're not talking about um, passive figure here. She creates everything, and she's what, what fires everything up. Um, whether it be for creative purposes or destructive ones. And I'm not going to say good and evil because that's not necessarily how that translates. Uh, people might think of tamasi as being, um, you know, evil actions, but sometimes uh, destruction is good for you. Now, of course, it also has to do with delusion, but that also um, falls into the category of mahamaya, who is the, um, uh, which interestingly is translated as um, measurement in some places. Maya is sometimes translated as measurement. But it has to do with the illusion, the illusion of um, the separateness of reality. And that does make sense when you talk about measurement, because um, when you're measuring something, uh, you, what you're doing, when you, when, you, when you determine the distance between yourself and another object, you are determining the difference between you and that object. 
when you look at things in kind of a um, unified kind of uh, field, um, then you, then, you know, then, you know, then you're not, you, you know, there, there's nothing to measure, okay? Measurement comes, you know, that's space and time, once again. Being in the field of space and time is being in the field of Maya, okay? So, um, okay, so we have these, these, um, these books uh, that, that talk about this, 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 first, this Purana. Um, it, um, the, the, the second book of the um, Devi uh, Bhagavatam talks about uh, the characters um, from the Mahabharata, um, and, and, you know, introduces some of the main characters from the Devi epic. And then the third book discusses the Devi and her bhakti or devotional worship, how to, you know, how to, how to worship the Devi. You'll find this in the Chandipat as well. There's a lot of overlap between these books. Um, and how the Devi created herself from the three Chai Devi, um, Mahasaraswati to be the Shakti of Brahma, although Brahmi is also regarded as the Shakti of, Brahm, of uh, Brahma, uh, Mahalakshmi to be the Shakti of Vishnu, and Mahakali to be the Shakti of Shiva. Okay, so of course that's in their roles as creator, preserver, and destroyer. Okay, and um, there are more legends in the fourth book, interactions between Krishna and Shiva, um, introduces a few tantric themes. Um, again, my summary here doesn't get, get too specific. Um, and the book seven through nine is more of the um, essence of the Vedic um, texts. And talks about sort of the more the philosophy of um, of the divine feminine, okay, and how um, she is the how the goddess is the Brahman that creates the world, asserting that the Advaita that um, spiritual liberation only occurs when one fully comprehends the identity of the soul and the Brahman, okay, and this knowledge asserts the goddess comes from detaching the self from the world and meditating on one's own soul, um, and then um, <clears throat> there's the uh, you know, uh, the Devi Gita, which is part of this as well, um, and presents the divine feminine as powerful and compassionate creator, pervader, and protector of the universe. Um, okay, so there's, uh, again, there's, there's sort of a cosmology that's in here, and, um, you know, and this is a you know, and, and they talk about, um, you know, so there's a lot of theological, philosophical, and um, some folkloric works about about the Devi herself. Um, now, the Devi Upanishad, which I also mention, again, these this one, now the Devi Upanishad and the Devi um, uh, Bhagavata Purana were both, con you know, like I said, they're about the same time frame, 1000 to 1500 BC, I'm sorry, CE, that they were written. And um, <clears throat> this, the Devi Upanishad states that goddess is Brahman, uh, ultimate metaphysical reality, and from her arise Prakriti, matter, and Purusha, consciousness. So that's an important point. Matter and consciousness come out of the divine feminine. There's, there's the Shakti, okay? That's the, um, the great Devi is the Shakti. That's, that's the kinds of, um, we try to identify, um, it, it's interesting because right now we're in a period of a new moon in Aquarius, and there's been a lot of talk about genius or... Um, you know, the genius of a person and what that means, you know, rather than looking at genius as a, uh, as a term relating to somebody who's really smart, uh, genius has to do with, um, it's like what the Greeks called daemon, you know, it's this idea of this kind of intelligent, almost semi-divine spirit that kind of mediates between you and the divine. And here, there's not the idea of a separate spirit, but the idea of the shakti that pervades everything. 
Um, that's what gives everything form and it's what gives it consciousness. Okay, so this is the um, philosophy that we're dealing with with the tantric goddesses, with tantra, and also just you know more broadly with um, you know the the shakti um, <clears throat> shaktism, which is this um, particular uh, aspect of Buddhism. I'm sorry, not Buddhism. Uh, this particular aspect of Hinduism. Okay. Um, okay. Um, now there's a, there's a um, there's a there's an invocation in the Devi Upanishad, 32 verses after an invocation from the uh, um, Atharva Veda, okay, and uh, the Rig Veda also presents a, a sort of foundational hymn, um, which is discussed here in this particular again this particular summary I'm looking at. But in the actually Devi Upanishad itself, um, you know the Devi Asuts that uh, you know she it opens with a gathering of gods who ask you know great goddess who are you. She indicates that she's Swarupani, identical in form to Brahman. Um, she has her form of Nirguna, without attributes, Suguna, with attributes, and the true being Sat, and then the Sat Chit Ananda, being consciousness and bliss. Uh, the next verses assert that she is the universe, the Prakriti and Purusha, knowledge of ignorance, Brahma and non-Brahman, Vedas and whatever's different from it, the unborn, the born, below, above, and around. Okay, so she pervades everything. And it's important to note that she doesn't just pervade what is the good. Okay, we need to get away from the platonic thinking about the good. She's everything, okay? And I'm going to sort of drive that point home um, in a moment. Um, but in, just to finish up with the Devi Upanishad, she says, you know, this is a translation. I move with Rudras and Vasus, with Adityas and Vishvadevas, Mitra and Varuna, Indra and Agni. I support and two Asvins. I uphold Soma, Tvastir, Pushan, and Bhaga, the wide-stepping Vishnu, Brahma, Prajapati. And she says, I travel, you know, um, and she... Uh, so these are... Um, yeah, and she also says, I load with wealth the zealous sacrificer who pours the juice and offer his libation. That that compares it to another verse in the Rig Veda. Um, so, you know, so she is, um, so frequently the, the way that the story works is that the Devi, she is, she is what really, she's the reality that underlies everything. Okay. And in these particular Puranas or stories, um, and in these particular hymns, the Devi is the one who is when the gods are in trouble, when uh, what we think of as sort of, we, we, we talk about them as evil forces. Um, oftentimes, there's one translation that I use of uh, Sri Chandipat, which tends to translate um, these quote-unquote evils as thoughts, okay? Uh, so it has to do more with the way that the mind trips us up and sabotages us uh, in different ways. So it's not so much about it being evil per se. It's something that's there and that needs to be there and has a purpose. But when it's out of balance, uh, it becomes a problem. And this is when the goddess has to, um, she steps in. That's when the destructive aspect comes in, clears the way, and then um, removes all of these, 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 these obstacles and these, uh, these difficulties. Dorga does mean the remover of difficulties. And... So that the world, but but of course they're never permanently removed. Um, certainly in in um, Chandipat and or you know they um, uh, or in the De you know Devi Mahatmayam, same same work. They the gods ask for a boon and they ask her. They say you know may the great you know may these may these this problem with thoughts and ego never arise again. 
And the goddess says, well, of course they're going to arise again. They're, they're part of how things are. She says, but when they're out of hand, I'll, I'll come back and I'll, I'll help. So um, in these, these sort of more um, traditional uh, scriptures and writings, we see this Devi who is an embodiment of rage, who is very powerful, and she is there to, um, you know, she her her role is to. I'm just putting my bring my notes up here. Um, her role is to, uh, you know, when 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 things have have you know become grossly covered in strife, uh, she's the one who comes in and uh, fights the battle and um, sets things to right again. Um, okay, now. Before I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually get into some of the text of the um, Sri Chandi. I, I have it as Sri Chandiput. I have the day. It's the Devi again. It's the same, th- same work. Devi Mahatmayam, uh, Durga Saptashadi, and the Sri Chandiput all refer to the same work. And I'm gonna refer to it as Sri Chandiput because that's the version that I actually own and that I have read many times. Um, now, kind of to frame this, this discussion of uh, of this particular work. Because again, I kind of want us to, I, I want to, I'm probably overstressing, but I I'm kind of want to stress that um, we want to get away from this thought that, um, you know, uh, because, because you see this a lot when you, you know, even in um, public pujas and, and temple worship and things like that, there's kind of this idea that this is sort of a battle of good versus evil. And one of the things I really like about Hindu mythology as opposed to Western uh, particularly when it comes to, um, you know, the practice of Hindu religion, is that Hindu mythology is not that really at all. Um, that's kind of a a oversimplification of it. Um, now, you may you may refer to some of these forces as harmful. Um, you know, the god is battling the armies of, you know, passion and anger and uh, addiction and, and things like that. But it's not so much about... Um, you know, it's it's not quite so cut and dry. It's not like it's not like our battles that we see between um, angels and demons, for example. Okay, uh, in sort of um, particularly Western Christian tradition and so forth. It's not. This is not what we're looking at, and it's very important that you not look at it from that point of view if you really want to understand it. Uh, so I'm going to give. I'm going to read a little verse from something called uh, the Mahisashura Mardini Stotra. And uh, it's also known as Aigiri Nandini. Okay, you'll see it often. You can find like you can find recordings of it on YouTube. In fact, if I can find a good one, I think uh, in both the YouTube co- um, description and also in um, you know in my comments on this, uh, I'm going to try to include some you know my you know description of this on metapsychosis and enchthonia. I'm going to try to include um, some of these links because I think it would be uh, beneficial for you to. Um, you know, to try to listen to some of these just to kind of, for context if you're not familiar with them already. Um, the Aigiri Nandini is sometimes called that because those are actually the opening words of the of the stotra or the hymn. And uh, Aigiri Nandini just literally means, O daughter of the mountain. And uh, Mahisashura Mardini is the name of Durga when she uh, slays the, the Mahisashura. And this actually represents the, the first part of the Chandipat. Okay, um, the Mahisashura Mardini is so Mahisa Mahi. Okay, Mahi, which is great. Ashura, 
which is uh, like a demonic. So the Mahi Sashura is a great demonic figure. Um, we'll say demonic in the sense of, it's, it was translated by um, Swami Satyananda Saraswati as uh, the great ego. Okay, and that's that. That may also be a simplification because ego is not. You know, there's different ways that you can interpret the word ego, but if, if you get kind of the idea. And Mardini, of course, is the one who kills. So it's, uh, and, and the woman who kills in particular, because it's I and I, it's an, it's an I and I um, ending. The great goddess who kills the, the Mahisashura. Okay, so what this stotra is about, it's, it's very interesting stotra to listen to. Um, it's, it's very hypnotic in its, its tone. And the, what, what happens in this particular um, what, what it's what it's what it's praising Durga for, what it's praising the Mahisashura, the daughter of the mountain, you know, Ayigiri Nandini Nandini Vishvani Monini Vishnanute Virivadavim Vishivrojini Vashini I'm not gonna remember all the words right now. Um, but it's um it's basically praising her it's basically recounting this battle that takes place between her and the great ego. And it's um like a lot of Sanskrit, it's very, very difficult to translate. Um, when I have read the translations of this stotra, uh, you can get a kind of a general sense of what's going on, but you're not, um, there's some, some phrases and some passages in particular that do not translate well at all. Um, they just, they just don't. I don't know, um, you know, when I read different English translations, I mean, you can read three different translations that are just literally almost 100% different from each other. And this particular verse from the Stotra that I want to read to you um, is a good example of that. Um, but the sense of it is what I want to talk about. So let me, this is, I think, this is actually verse 7 of the Mahisasura Mardini Stotra. Aya nijahum kruti marta nira kruta dumra vilochana dumra sate samarata vishotita soni tabija samud bava soni tabija late shiva shiva shumbani shumbambaha hava tarpitabu tita picha charate jaya jaya he mahisa shurama diniram yakapar dinishela stute. I can't sing, so my total apologies for that. My voice is, is terrible. And I'm not actually trying to sing it, but it, it kind of has that quality of it. It's you just kind of can't help but do that. Uh, but I'm not good at it. So, um, so okay, so what, so what the heck does this mean? Um, it is, talks about, um, Mahi, uh, about Durga, Mahisashura Mardini, as the killer, slayer of passion and anger. Okay. Um, kruti marta nira kruta. You know, she, with the mantra whom she, you know, she destroys the armies of, um, um, actually of Nishumba and Nishumba, who are the, uh, too much and too little. And, um, and of course of the, you know, she destroys the, the bija, the, 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 you know, the, the, the rakta bija, the, you know, the demonic, um, being that, you know, his, his boon is that every time someone spills a drop of his blood, it produces another, another rakta bija. And so she she vanquishes all of these these enemies, but this one particular line Shiva Shiva Shumba Nishumba Baha Hava Tarpita Bhuta Pisha Charate, um, that line always fascinated me because at least one of the English translations, okay, and there are many that try to talk about this as in that try to interpret this in different ways, but it doesn't come across across quite right. It basically, the general sense of it is, this is the goddess who delights in Shiva, okay, Lord Shiva, who is considered to be very auspicious, uh, Shumba Nishumba, 
uh, Shumba is um, too much and Nishumba is too little. They are the two great generals of the Battle of the Ego that we'll talk about in Chandipat. And they are the ones who, um, in, in both cases, who go, to, who go to battle with the great goddess. And she is, um, but she delights in them as well, according to this verse. And Tarpita Buta Pisha Charate. Now that's the part that really got me, because Pisha um, Pishacha are um, they're basically ghouls. They're these kind of demonic creatures that hang around cremation grounds, and supposedly they feed on, you know, not only you know human flesh but also human souls. And she delights in all of these. Okay. Um, now, again, in different translations, they'll try to say, like, oh, you know, something like Shumba ni Shumba are sacrificed to, are, are, are appease, you know, the sacrifice of the, to, the, to, you know, um, to these ghouls or whatever. There, there's different ways that I've read it translated that don't quite work. There's a sense here, and, and to me, the translation that kind of talks about it more as her delight in both these auspicious and inauspicious creatures, Okay. And, you know, well, creatures, you know, divine beings and these other, um, what, what are often referred to sort of in Tantra, sort of these lower world um, beings, like um, Pisachas. And it, it you know, it, I find it to be, um, that, that line always kind of gets me because it's, it, to me, it's kind of the essence of it. She is not, um, you know, just as she is, represents the three Shaktis, which are both creative and destructive, she deals both in these auspicious and the inauspicious. And she is manifestations of all of those things. Okay? And that is something that's very hard for Westerners to wrap their minds around. Westerners really want to think about, you know, the gods are good. The angelic beings are good. Um, we want to, and when we talk about something that's evil, well, that's a demon that's come in, and we've got to do battle with that demon, and we've got to get rid of it and put it in its place. Just as I was talking about the tantric deities last week, or a couple weeks ago, um, and how um, they're different from people who practice Goetia or practice any kind of, um, that kind of ritual magic um, that's necromantic in, in fashion, or where they deal with um, Goetic texts, they're, you know, frequently you may call upon a spirit and you may bind it. You may bind it with a sigil or do, or do something like that. Um, if people who do tantric work with these kinds of deities, uh, with these kinds of, you know, well, they're, they're you know, the matrikas, the, uh, the, these different, um, man, the, these kinds of manifestations of Shakti that are more, um, destructive or, or enraged, um, you, you know, there, you, you don't bind those deities, you, you propitiate, you, you, you show respect, you make offerings, you don't expect that um, you're an equal or that you are in control because you're not. It's not, that's not that kind of relationship. And um, I mentioned the book Ferocious last time, um, which is a, a book from uh, Theon Press on, um, on tantric folk practice. And that's the other thing they mentioned too, is that sometimes when they like you, they look at you more like you're, you know, you're their pet, you know, not so much like, you know, you're, you're certainly not an equal. And, um, and I, and I, you know, talked previously about some of my own relationship to these deities and, um, you know, it's, it's not, um, it, it's a very intense kind of relationship. It's very visceral and they are very much, uh, right there. Okay. They are kind of, um, right there in your face, you know, up, 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 up all in it with you. You know, they're not, um, and not necessarily in a bad way. Some people have told me that if they had that kind of relationship to their deity, they'd absolutely be freaked out. And I'm like, well, you know, 
to me, it's like, okay, I know they're there and they're paying attention and I don't, you know, even, even if they're a little chaotic, I don't sense any kind of malice in their, in their being. Although they, they could be under the right circumstances, probably malicious. But again, we're getting, it's this idea of this Devi who is all encompassing of all things auspicious and inauspicious. Um, however, in Chandipat, what she is doing is she is battling the inauspicious. Why? Because it has gotten out of control. Now, um, let me just uh, open my copy of Chandipat right here, because I'm just going to, obviously, I can't sit here and, and read all this to you. Um, but there's, um, the, the base, base, what happens is there's a, um, Chandipat begins, there's certainly all of the, um, the praises to the goddess. There starts with the um, different versions, seven verses that express the essence of she who relieves all difficulties. So it's the Saptashloki Durga. It's a, it's a shloka for Durga. Then there's the Durga, uh, Durga Stotra Satanama Sotra. So there's the 108 names of Durga, followed by the Brahmadi Shapa Vimochanam, the removal of curses by Brahma and others. Um, and then there's the Atya Devya Kavacham, the armor of the goddess. That's, uh, that's one that's used in Kali Puja as well. And then there's different praises that um, they, they say unfasten the bolt and the pin. These are um, you know, sort of ritual things. And then the praise of the night of duality, um, Suktam. Okay, and, and again, the praise of the duality. See, we, we tend to think that living in this world um, with its dualities, and which therefore is a world of suffering, if you come from Western culture, you have the Adam and Eve myth, okay? that you're, un you're unified, you're in the garden with God, right? Okay, you're in the garden with Yahweh. Then Eve eats from the fruit after being, you know, told to do so by the serpent, who is interpreted as Satan or uh, Samael or, you know, however you want to look at it. And if you're Gnostic, as Sophia. Um, but the serpent does that, and as soon as they eat, they have the knowledge of, they're in the field of time. They have the knowledge of opposites. They recognize that they're male and female, and they, quote-unquote, cover their shame. And uh, Yahweh appears to them, and when they tell them what they're doing, he says, uh, how do you know that you're different? Okay, it's duality. How do you know duality? You ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? You know duality. You're in, you're in space and time. This is a different approach to the idea. And so then what happens? God banishes them from the garden, you know, like, no, screw you, you know? And we treat that as a disobedience. We treat that as a corruption. And... You know, the fact that we're not in the unity, but when you're in the field of unity, you're not in the field of life. The field of life, to be alive, to experience things, is to be in the field of duality. And, um, you know, even with all of the, and with the suffering and everything that comes along with that. And that's a very sublime kind of a thing. Um, you know, certainly in these traditions, in the Shakta, Shaktis, uh, Shaktism tradition, and also in the... Um, you know, in Tantra, and it is, you know, the, the duality is not something to be, um, it's something to be understood, but also celebrated. Um, but like a lot of dual things, like anything that kind of, you know, has two sides, you know, things can get lopsided. And that is kind of the way that these, um, you know, as, as, as they go through yugas or, or, or these periods of time, you know, things become more and more imbalanced, and the great goddess comes to, uh, to set things right. Um, now, um, the chapter one in this, uh, is the, uh, Pratyamo, um, Jaya, and it's, it talks about the balance of too much and too little. And what it starts with is there's the king who represents, he's, he's, his name is translated as good thoughts here. 
and he is driven out of his kingdom and he goes and he finds a sage um, in the forest and that sage happens to be um, uh, Markandeya, okay? And he invites him to come sit with him and then he also finds a businessman who's also been turned away from his family. They're both very dejected. They have, um, they have been in the world and you know, they have tried to be honest and they have, they've both been turned away. Okay, they have been, you know, turned out by corrupt people. Now, then this is another thing. I think feel like this is a good mythology for kind of where we're at in the world today. I mean, there's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of things that, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, I mean, there's just no way they would have flown on the world stage, particularly not in a country like this one. And um, now, uh, you know, all of that is is openly, you know, it's like... It's like, oh yeah, so there, there is all this corruption and violence and hatred and, you know, you know, putting children in cages, you know, and, and, and forgetting, you know, forgetting all the lessons we learned from World War II and all this kind of stuff. And uh, so what, you know, you know, and, and the people who are good and honest are the ones who end up losing power and kind of being, um, you know, you know, pushed to the side. And uh, sorry to make a sort of, I, I'm not making a wholly blatant political statement, but I'm sure you can follow. Um, but there's definitely a sense that, um, you know, when it used to be that, you know, there was a certain amount of, you know, integrity or civility that one was supposed to maintain. Um, it seems like a lot of that has, um, has gone out the window in favor of, um, you know, other, other kinds of political, sneaky, corrupt, and sometimes it's not even sneaky, it's just very overtly, um, you know, rubbish. And, you know, so, so to me, a mythology like this, where it's like, okay, when we, you know, this says that the world descends into this time and time again. And what happens is the gods then get together when they are pushed out. Uh, so this is the story that is told. Uh, uh, Mark and Dea sits down and tells them the story. You know, you have um, these, these praises of the goddess, the meanings of the goddess. And in the balance of too much and too little, um, they, he talks about, um, you know, when this happens, the great goddess always comes back and she always resets the balance. Um, now, the, in the first part of Chandipat, um, there's this idea that the chapter two is the slaying of the armies of the great ego. And what it is, is that all of the gods get together and all of their certain um, energies and qualities come together in this one female figure who is really at the base of all of them, and that is the Devi. And they arm her with all of these weapons, and they said she's got a roar that's really, and a laugh that's so terrible. And when she, you know, string, you know, plucks her bow, that it actually sends fear all the way down to all the levels of the hells. So she is um, this frightening Davy, and she, um, and when the great ego sees her, of course, he's one that um, they're the ones who lack understanding. So they decide to go and do battle. So the whole first part of Chandipat is this. Um, she not only slays the, the armies of the great ego, but then she slays the great ego, uh, him, portrayed as masculine himself. And um, this is the image you will frequently see of Durga with her multiple arms, and she's got a pitchfork, and she's driving it through, and her lion is usually ripping you know, his legs off or whatever, um, a man who is on the ground with his sword. Sometimes he's shown as half of a buffalo, because um, the Mahisashura is, is often um, portrayed as like a, taking the form of a great buffalo. And uh, so you see this man that, you know, she's basically stabbing to death with her pitchfork. Um, that is uh, the slaying of the great ego, okay? 
And so then the gods all get together and they, they offer their praise of the goddess. Okay. Now, um, so the second part of, you know, chapter five onward of, uh, so the first four chapters are about this first battle. Chapters five through ten, you know, five through well, 11, really. Let's see, 11 or, um, yes, five through 11. So it's really the first 11 chapters here. Um, this, you know, the, the, she has slain the great ego. She does say that the great ego is going to come back again and that the cycle will begin again. Um, and then, uh, when she does this, uh, so then starting chapter five, we see this sort of, um, return to the situation as it was before. Um, and now, um, and, and here you have kind of a little bit more of an elaborate story. Um, <clears throat> the, the, the gods are, are well aware. Okay. Let me see if I can find it in, in this book. Um, which call it, uh, let me find, uh, yes, here it is. This is exactly where I thought it would be. Um, yeah, so, so they're back in this particular, um, they're in, you know, the gods are in distress again, and they remember this earlier episode in which the goddess, um, has slain the great ego. So they say, we need to call this goddess to come back again. And this is where you get sort of the traditional mantra, mantra, um, <clears throat> You know, to the extremely beautiful, extremely fierce, we bow to her continually, establish her perceivable universe to the goddess to all action. And then, Ya Devi Sarva Bhutesu Vishnu Mayeti Sabite, Namastase, 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 Namo Namaha, Ya Devi Sarva Bhutesu, Chechinya Bidiate, Namastase, 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 Namo Namaha, Ya Devi Sarva Bhutesu, Buddha Rupina Samstita, Namastase, 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 Namo Namaha. And then it goes on and on. Ya Devi Sarva Bhutesu. As I indicated, sometimes that's used as an arati, um, as the um, ending praise at the end of a puja for some of these deities. Um, <clears throat> and I'm, you know, and it's and it's all these different qualities. Ya Devi Sarva Bhutesu Kshuta Rupina Samtata, uh, to the divine goddess who resides in all existence in the form of hunger. You know, um, Chaya Rupina Samstata, in the form of appearance. You know. Uh, Shakti Rupina Samstata has a form of energy. Okay, so these are the different forms of the goddess. And as they call out to her in this particular part, they said that um, the goddess, they said the goddess of nature sort of separates and looks at herself and she says, What is this they are calling me for? And then um, when they hear what the, she hears what the problem is, she has, of course, in the past agreed to go to battle again. So she does. So she appears. And the great. Um, this the new Mahisashura, the great ego king, um, sees her and, of course, wants to possess this beautiful woman that he sees. So he sends the ambassador of self-conceit. Okay, and um, let me see if I have this. This is this is actually kind of a funny. Um, to me, it is. It's funny anyway. Um, okay. So it's, uh, let me, let me find, I've got to, you know what, I need to go back and look at my table of contents here, because I did have it um, open, but uh, when I decided to flip to this page, I lost where I was. Um, ambassador of Self-Conceit, okay, yeah, it's, uh, let's see, I can't, uh, no, actually I am in the right section, I've just got to find the, the one particular thing I'm looking for. Okay. <clears throat> 
Um, okay, so I'll, I'll just read the English translation. I could read the, the Sanskrit, but I'll just read that. O goddess, the king of thought, self-conceit is the lord of the three worlds. I have been sent as his ambassador to come to you. All the gods have been defeated by him and all obey his commands. No one can violate his order. Listen to the message he sends to you. The entire three worlds are under my authority and all the gods obey my every command. I personally enjoy the share of every sacrifice. All the finest jewels in the three worlds are under my authority. I've taken the jewels of elephants, the carrier of the god, the rule of the pure. Um, and he goes on with all of these things that have been surrendered. He says, Oh, beautiful one beyond that, as many beautiful jewels belong to the gods of the heavenly beings of the swiftly proceeding, they all shine with me. Oh, goddess, we consider you to be the jewel of all women in the creation. Therefore, you come to us because we the enjoyer of all jewels. You of inconstant gaze, come and serve me an extremely rallying brother self-depreciation because you are the very essence of jewels. And fulfilling my wish, you will achieve great glory. Now your intelligence to decide if you want to be my wife. And says, then the goddess, the excellent supreme empress, she who removes difficulties, Durga, thoughtfully, tranquilly, gently smiling, gave her reply. And Devi Acho, the goddess says, all that you have said is true without a particle of falsehood. Self-conceit is the master of the three worlds, as is equally the valiant self-depreciation. But in this matter, because of my small intelligence, I have already undertaken an oath which I cannot be untrue. Please listen. Whoever will defeat me in battle, whoever will lose his self-conceit in me, whoever will see all the force in the universe in me, he will be my husband. So you return to self-conceit and self-depreciation. Great thoughts. When they conquer me, I will marry. What is the necessity of delay? And the ambassador is floored by this, and he says, Goddess, your pride is great to speak to, like that to me. In three worlds, there's not a man who can stand against self-conceit and self-depreciation. Goddess, all of the gods cannot challenge the thoughts in a battle. What merit do you have is you are alone and you are a woman. And if the rule of the pure and all the other gods could not stand up, how will you go forth in battle? And uh, she replies, uh, let me find it. My, I've gotta, I feel like I'm missing a page here. Um, and the goddess says, um, what you say is correct. Self-conceit is very strong and self-depreciation too is a valiant warrior. But what can I do? Without thinking, I have made this promise. Now you go and do just as I've told you and explain this fully to the king of thought. Let him do what he thinks is proper. And it's, it's hilarious because of course they're just saying, you know, well, you're, you're just a woman. Who are you? Right. And she just smiles and goes, oh, yeah, mm, yeah well, yeah, what am I going to do? And so, of course, what does he do? He sends an army to drag her back by her hair. You know, her, her hair actually comes in a lot when you hear Romia Capardini chez les she with the beautifully braided hair. Um, but uh, so he comes back and brings his armies, and she's sitting there on her lion. Um, and, has her throwing, and as soon as, you know, they try to um, attack her, she recites the mantra, hum, and of course she destroys the entire lot of them. And the battle goes on. And it's actually a very gruesome and very bloody battle, um, which is, again, the Mahisashoda Mardini Stotram talks about this. Um, so it, it's, um, so this, this, so she sits there and again, you know, she's like, you know, it's like, you know, she, she sits there looking very passive and pretending to be like, oh yes, yes, you know, he's, he's just, isn't he just so wonderful, but oops, oh well. And then of course, you know, um, she levels all of the armies. And then when they send the armies of passion and anger, now supposedly, now again, when we start to talk about Chamunda, uh, there'll be, that, that's a much longer discussion. However, the way that it's portrayed in the Devi Mahatmayam is that um, 
the, the, the armies come after her of passion and anger, and she gets angry herself, and her third eye opens up, and Chamunda, which, is, which in this version is another form of Kali, uh, jumps forth, and she's portrayed as emaciated, like this uh, you know, black with a long tongue and uh, red eyes. And she's and she just starts grabbing up the armies of demons. She eats them. I mean, this is this is it. When the goddess is sent, she just doesn't fight with them. She eats them. She literally devours them. And um, there's a lot of thought about what does it mean to devour the blood of demons? Like, does that make you a de- you know, if blood is what binds you to something, does that make you a demonic creature yourself? And um, so it's very interesting. Um, but the goddesses, and then of course, you know, uh, Chamunda is also supposedly the one who slays Chunda and Munda. At least that's the one version of it. Um, as we'll discuss, there's there's other interpretations of that goddess, who's probably a lot older than the Vedas, actually. But Chamunda um, <clears throat> is a uh, yeah, she's she's sort of the the form of Kali that is that is mentioned here. And Kali, of course, is also mentioned again later in Sri Chandipat. There is the battle of um, Rakta, you know, with Rakta Vera or Rakta Bija, the the seed demon, and uh, that's the one who has been granted a boon by Shiva. Now here we go again, demons that can be granted boons. We're not talking about strict categories of good and evil here. You know, um, Rakta Bija did his um, austerities and practices, disciplines, and Shiva rewarded him with a boon, and that was that for every drop of blood spilled, um, you know, a hundred more of him would appear, which is what was happening. So they couldn't kill him. So um, Kali lets her great tongue out and uh, just swallows up the blood as it hits the ground and chomps up every last bit of Raktabija until he's gone. So, um, and again, you have a scene at the end after this great battle. Um, there is another scene at which um, the the king of uh, king of thought, as, uh, as this is translated here, says to her, um, you know, you, you couldn't possibly do this if all these gods weren't helping you. And she, and she collapses them all into herself, and she says, nope, all of them are me. Okay, another little mystery to contemplate. All of them are me. They all come from me. They all stem from me. Um, and because there's a lack of understanding um, on the part of thought, you know, this is why... Um, and and it's and it's an interesting commentary to me. I have to I have to say this. This is kind of just jumping into my head, but we talk a lot about. Remember, we've talked initially about the feminine and how we don't value uh, intuition. We don't value emotion. We don't value um, those kinds of things. We value rationality. We value intellect. We come from a tradition that's uh, very philosophical and, and talks about thought. And this is a tradition that says um, when thoughts take over. Um, Every, you know, th- then it, it, it's, it's stifling, it creates strife, and it's destructive. Um, so the goddess goes and wipes all of that out because the goddess is something beyond thought. Thought doesn't, thought, thought doesn't mean anything in the face of the goddess. So you can intellectualize all you want. You can rationalize all you want. You can be as logical as you want. Um, the, the realities are beyond thought. And that's another um, kind of message here. It's the thing that's lost on us in Western culture because even the better parts of Western culture are are definitely very uh, intellectual and thought-driven. I mean, heck, the fact that I'm sitting here doing this podcast with you is also very intellectual and thought-driven in a lot of ways. But um, in religion, there's definitely a disconnect. Um, you know, we, we are so focused on the spiritual. We're focused on, we're focused on things that are sort of of the air and of the sky. We're not focused where we are. And there is, um, and that 
that material world that you know that 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 pure um that that sort of I don't want to use the word pure actually um, purity is actually another another issue because um these goddesses are not all about purity either and uh there's a um you know uh you know there's this this idea of sort of death destruction earthiness um nature there's a wisdom in it and we've when you discard that wisdom you know this is this is this is that particular force coming and sort of fighting back um and and thought ultimately you know cannot hold against it because again because then you have self what is what are the two of the two generals self-conceit and self-depreciation self-conceit look how wonderful i am self-depreciation oh look at me you know poor pathetic me and both are equally um, detestable, really. Um, they're, they're extremes. They're, they're when you take when thought gets out of balance. And if you just think about, you know, well, maybe not think too hard, but what do we do with our own minds? I, I've been struggling with this all week. I have um, think, you know, I, I, I'm getting at a point in my life where just kind of like when I sort of started my career in, in puberty and so forth, um, I had a lot of anxiety and depression. Now I'm sort of ending my career in that whole experience. Um, also with some anxiety and depression and, uh, I mean, not, not really severe depression, but probably just more anxieties, but where do the anxieties come from? I mean, you lay awake and you think, oh my God, this is happening. That's going to be this. And then, then this will happen from here. And then this, and da, 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 da. the way your thoughts run away with you, um, you know, and the real, and then the reality is, yeah, and no, actually none of that's going to happen. Um, thought can, thought can be toxic. You know, our, our thoughts can be toxic. They can be sabotaging. Um, you know, it doesn't make, it doesn't, but again, thought, it's like, you know, you're not going to remove all of that. Thought's not entirely bad. It serves a purpose. It's like a lot of things do. But there's, there's an over-reliance on it and it creates an imbalance. And what Chandipat does is it's very good at expressing, um, you know, that imbalance comes back over and over and over again in a cycle. And the great goddess comes back each time and she defeats it. And I feel like that's a message for now. We're living in a time period where uh, the divine feminine, people are talking more about the divine feminine, talking more about the dark feminine. Um, I'm seeing a lot more of it among um, some of my friends and some other people who, you know, who do similar work to what I do. And they are, um, you know... There's, and I think it's because we are at a period of time again where we're way out of balance, okay? And it doesn't matter which side you lie on, whether you're in traditional Western religion, whether you're on the side of science, whether you're on the side of, um, you know, where, you know, <clears throat> even in the political spectrum in a lot of ways, there's definitely a, um, you know, um, th things are, you know, things are way out of whack, and this feminine energy is what comes in and what, um, what cleans the slate, what uh, removes these obstacles, what removes these difficulties. And so Chandipat, um, you know, whichever, under whatever name you want to call it, to me is sort of like the, it, it hasn't lost its relevance in any way, shape, or form. And it is most definitely a, um, uh, you know, it, it, it's, a different perspective on things, which, and in fact, I'm not even sure all Hindus have the same perspective, okay? Um, I don't know, certainly a lot of, not all, again, but there are many tantrikas who might might take this viewpoint. 
Um, and again, when you're, when you're wearing your branches of Hinduism that's concerned with caste and hierarchy and, and purity of rituals and what you do on this day and not on this day and, and that sort of thing, um, they may be as, as caught up in this idea of, um, you know, this kind of cerebral idea of order uh, as much as some of the others are. But, um, you know, but when you're dealing with these kinds of deities, you know, all that goes out the window. Um, tantrics aren't, aren't interested in caste. They're not interested in, in you know, um, not necessarily interested in, in, in the, the proper decorum of certain things. And, and we can get caught up in that, that aspect of it. And people can just get caught up in their own, um, you know, sort of narcissistic um, feelings or uh, delusions or, or whatever. And, you know, and I think when people are, have a lot of anxiety about that and are looking for the antidote, uh, an epic like this will tell you, well, the divine feminine is the antidote and it's, it's the dark feminine. It's, it's the, it's the, it's the rage of the warrior goddess who comes up and, um, and clear, you know, and clears the air. She comes in like a thunderbolt and she clears the air. Um, but again, remember, she's not evil. She is not, um, you know, she's not, she's not really anything. She's in control of the passions. She's really just, you know, you know, this, this is, this is out of whack and, and she's gonna, you know, she's gonna, uh, you know, when she sees all of this, she's gonna, you know, de destroy the imbalance. She's gonna set things back to right again. Let's, let's hit the reset button here. And, you know, and I think that's, that's extremely, I think it's a mythology that's actually quite useful to people today. Um, and the Durga mantras and the Kali mantras and a lot of these are, are, are things that can be very, very um, healing and very empowering and, and can be useful in removing obstacles. So, um, so anyway, that's just kind of my, my thoughts on it. Um, and it's part of the reason when people say to me, how can, how can you be interested in Hinduism? I say, well, because the mythology is so very relevant. And it's not, it's not about the good guys fighting the bad guys. It's about correcting the imbalances. And what's needed to correct that imbalance is a memory of the feminine. Okay. And with that, I think I am going to stop for today because this is really just, again, meant to be just kind of an overview. Uh, I want to talk about the Sri Chakra in a couple of weeks, and then we are going to start getting into specific deities, probably starting with Kali herself, because she is kind of, um, if you had a Venn diagram of all of these deities, she's kind of in, the, you know, in all of them. So uh, we are going to talk about, um, about, uh, about that in the ensuing weeks. Uh, again, just a real quick at the end, um, don't forget I have uh, patreon.com slash chthonia if you would like to support my work. Um, chthonia.net, um, I'm hoping to contract with somebody to do some overhaul of that. I keep saying that each one of these podcasts, it's just um, trying to fit that in with the 30,000 other things that are going on um, and, and making sure I have the, the finances for it. Another reason I would be, be most grateful if people would contribute to Patreon because that would help me out uh, tremendously in that area. Um, it, you know, then I can hopefully, you know, revamp all of that and, um, and have everything all organized in a way that, that's a little bit more sensible than what it is now. Um, I have, I'm on social media, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm Instagram. Uh, just so you know, I tend to be on Facebook more than other places. So if you only see me on Twitter once in a while or Instagram once in a while, it's just because I'm not one of those people who's on their phone all the time, um, and checking stuff all the time. So, um, I'll probably need to get better about that. But, um, but anyway, I am present there and certainly when new podcasts out, um, if you're a patron, you'll get podcast notifications before everybody else. 
And uh, right now I have a, a novella that I've finished and, you know, I'm sending out some chapters to patrons. You know, there's some cool, some cool benefits that go along with being a um, Patreon supporter. So with that, um, I want to say thanks again for listening and until next time.